he was so humble in the way he would present himself. I would feel better. I would feel better about myself, my situation, my condition, uh, my relationships, all kinds of stuff. Um, I couldn't put a finger on it, but Daryl, talking to Daryl, I would feel connected in some way and I would feel better about things. Welcome to Stories of Recovery. I'm your host, Matt Shedd. On this episode, we're remembering our friend Daryl. Daryl died in March of this year after a sudden and brief illness, and he died with over 15 years of continuous sobriety. To say Daryl had a big impact both within the recovery community and beyond it would be a massive understatement. But he really wasn't a guy who was thinking about leaving an impact or a legacy, which is maybe why he did. Daryl was gracious enough to share his story with us almost exactly four years ago on this podcast. Here's a clip from that conversation. Early in the morning, I, I would smoke crack till four in the morning and then drink beer trying to come down and then go to work. Yeah. Just absolutely crazy. I mean, you know, trying to control crack is <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> it's real miserable <laughs> to limit yourself. Right, yeah. Crack's, cracks to be done all at once mm-hmm. and destroy your life. That's right. the only way you can enjoy it. <laughs> you got to sell you, you got to sell that car, you know. <laughs> your house and everything oh. in order to enjoy it. So how do you capture life in a few interviews? You don't. Especially not a life as expansive as Daryl's, a life full of love, struggles, redemption, and deep personal connections everywhere that he went but we tried to give you a hint of it here. Perhaps above everything else, this episode is about a change that happens to a person when they have a spiritual experience. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous defines a spiritual experience as a personality change sufficient enough to bring about recovery from alcoholism. It also says that this can take many different forms. There doesn't have to be a bright light or an out-of-body experience. In fact, the big book says that for most people, it's not one moment but it's a process of change. If you go to 12-step meetings long enough, you'll learn sometimes this involves more classically defined religion, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it involves one's faith tradition, spiritual fellowship, community, or family. But sometimes it involves a cat named Mushu. But before we get to that, let's start out with Daryl describing his childhood. My father had a drive-in in the off-season, and he was always... Very concerned, you know. We're not. We're not. We're going to end up in a ditch. That mm-hmm. was a, that was a terminology used, and I said, "My God," because I believed him. Yeah. Nobody else seemed to, but I did. I I, I was preparing. You're preparing <laughs> to live in the ditch. I'm, huh? a, I'm preparing to go to the ditch. Yeah, and right. Wow. I don't know why ditch. Yeah, right. But anyway, that, and uh, the season would pass, and and the good season of summer would come back, or Christmas would come back, and they'd make money again, and mm-hmm. it was forgotten until. Uh, it was over. But anyway, there was, there was an enormous amount of fear. I just took it up like a sponge. I had a terrible, horrible fear of not being able to get to sleep. Every night it started way before I'd go to bed, and I, and I would go to bed and lay there and not be able to sleep. As and, a kid? Oh, yeah. Total insomnia. And uh, But it, it, I made it worse by uh-huh. just worrying about it because sure. I worried about it. Sure. I worried about everything. <laughs> But I'd always been, uh, <clears throat> I needed a drink, but I didn't understand uh, what, it would, what it would do for me. And 
until I actually took a drink. By when you were fifteen, that's when you started drinking. Yeah, that's when I had my first drink, and I was terrified of it. Um, it was four or five of us, and and it was in the summertime, and we had some quarts of beer, and I remember I drank two quarts of beer and. Whatever fear I had about alcohol was over because of what it did for me was just it was it was a spiritual experience, one hundred percent. I slept good that night. I, I I wasn't scared anymore. I was easy. It was easy to be around people, mm-hmm. <clears throat> and things just got a lot better. And and I knew immediately, you know, Bill Wilson in in his story says he discovered liquor. And and it, and it, I think for us it is it's discovery. It's, it's this oh now I can make it. Now I'm not scared anymore. Now I'm not nervous anymore. You know I can be around people. I can all these things. These doors just opened up. The way he describes it, when he found alcohol, Daryl's life changed dramatically. Here's one of his closest friends in sobriety, Robert Bell describing part of that change. One of the best parts of Daryl's story was he talked about his father that ran the drive-in. You know, they ran the movie theaters and the drive-in around town. And what Daryl really loved is he said going out there at night, he liked hanging out at night, being out with the people. And he said there was rows of cars and he loved the back row because that's where all the crazy stuff went on. People were throwing liquor bottles out the back window and there's condoms and all sorts of stuff. He says, and I embrace that. He said, that's the kind of life I wanted to live. As Daryl's drinking progressed, it was accompanied by a deep suspicion of religion and spirituality. Because I spent the young part of my life, I hated the church. I hated everybody in that church. They didn't like the, my father's business. And... Uh, I had a, and, and there was a sermon one time about the the drive-in being a sin pit, mm. and in my and I looked and my mother was crying. And I was really angry. I hated their guts. I hated them so bad that for uh, once I did once I did grow up to get a car. Sometimes on Saturdays I'd take all my beer cans and throw them out in front of <laughs> as a way of saying yeah. thank you. Right. Daryl's been over here, right? As Daryl got older, his drinking got worse. He started smoking crack. He was in and out of treatment centers frequently. That's the dirty trick of alcoholism. I mean, it starts out so good. It's like a marriage that's just (laughs) goes terribly wrong. (laughs) Yeah. By the end, there's nothing in it. You know, except memories. Things started to go wrong. There started to be blackouts. I, I started blacking out. Sort of early, and and I, now from from then on out, I was dealing with consequences. I crashed a few cars, and that was because of alcohol. And and finally, I, I learned how to drive drunk, and so I didn't do that anymore. <clears throat> Whatever I had to do to make my life so I could drink, I did. Whatever work that entailed, I was gonna do it because I wasn't gonna stop drinking. Do you say you learned how to drive drunk? Yeah, well, I, I yeah. <laughs> how'd you how'd you do that? I started paying. I, I started paying more attention to the uh, road. Okay, or gotcha. Something. Close one eye. I don't know. Yeah. But, I, <laughs> but I, I ceased having car wrecks uh-huh. at about twenty two, and one of the reasons is I was scared to get on the road. Just 
you know, like I said, just constantly dealing with the 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 problems alcohol caused wow. and trying to live with that. And it got real bad. He ended up finding Mar and he went through our program twice. Here he reflects on why Mar was able to get through to him in a way that other places couldn't. You know, you can, you can bluff your way through 28 days. You just can't bluff your way through Mar. It just lasts too long. <laughs> Nobody can con their way that long. Yeah, right. <laughs> You're just here too long. You're yeah. Just, you know, it's just you can't keep it going. And, uh, and anyway, they gave me all these choices, and I and Atlanta sounded good. Well, Atlanta, okay. And uh, and so I agreed to do it. I changed my mind a hundred times, but I agreed to do it. I was smoking crack when I talked to the lady down here. So when did they even let me come? When but you I, did the assessment, or yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just sitting there with my pipe and my <laughs> talking to her about you know, and I'm like, God, I don't, I don't want to go down there. Yeah, and I've made a, I've made a blunder. I'm very blessed because the time by the time I had gotten here. I was, you know, I kept looking at people that were on crack, and uh, I I would always say, I won't end up like that. I'll never just steal something right in front of somebody because they actually, there was people out there, it seems like they had no soul left. Mm -hmm. You know, if they have to have sex in the middle of the road to get a to get what they need, they would do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I'm I'm like, I'm never, I'm never, I'm not going to go down that far. You know, I'm just going to enjoy this and remain human. But it starts taking your humanity away from you, you know. And, and bit by bit, I became somebody who would steal anything you got and help you look for it. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's you get to a point you don't care if you're alive or dead. You just want, my deal is I want to go painless, mm-hmm. you know. Kill me painlessly and take me away. And... Um, my wife was up there with me. I mean, we had gotten a divorce. Uh, you know, we'd make these suicide packs in the morning. Of course, it didn't last. You know, it was just a, it was some kind of pipe dream. Well, there's a way. We're going to control this situation. We're going to get out of it. Well, there wasn't a way out of it. Yeah. You just keep rolling with it. You keep going downhill. And, uh, it, yeah, it was a nightmare. <clears throat> Absolute nightmare. But anyway, uh, that was before Mar. After I got to Mar, um, you know, things immediately got better. Yeah, what was it like? What was your first impression once you got got here? I'm walking down the hall, and uh, and and I see somebody I know. It's like, hey, well, that's odd. I, I, you know, I, I've done come to Atlanta, and it's Matt Irwin. <coughs> He's from my hometown. Oh, no kidding. And so I stopped. This is what I remember. I stopped and said, I know you. And he goes, yeah. (laughs) Matt is a counselor at Mar Addiction Treatment Center, and he and Daryl ended up becoming very close friends over the years. We're from the same hometown. We're both from Columbia, Tennessee, and um, Daryl and I didn't really have a relationship when we were both there. I mean, we knew each other, but... We weren't friends, but I knew Daryl had his struggles, you know, and I knew that the people in the town knew he had his struggles with his addiction. But because he knew me, he wasn't involved 
in my treatment. I, Matt Irwin became this angel who every time I, every time it, it seemed like when I was about to lose it, I mean, they were about to let me go because I, I couldn't find a job. I was too crazy to find a job. Mm-hmm. I'd go in there, you don't want me, do you? Yeah, <laughs> or it was close to that. Yeah, you know, you don't you don't want me in here, and uh, I I couldn't find a job naturally. And you know, of course, Matt shows up. Hey, I know where you can go look. And uh, man, uh, you know, there's not enough to say about Matt Irwin. You know, he was he was just there. You know, he was he was absolutely the sweetest person I've ever met. He just gave hope. That's what Daryl did. People in recovery and people not in recovery yet. He gave hope. I was telling them the truth. I wanted to smoke crack. You know, I had this craving that would not go away. And I think what happened to me is I didn't start getting honest with the sponsor. Uh, I still had, and believe it or not, I still had this arrogant streak where, you know, you're not going to tell me what to do. And I, I, it's embarrassing me for me to say that. I mean, after I've told you this other stuff, that anybody would be that stupid and arrogant. But um, it's an unbelievable disease. I, I believe 100% I was meant to die from it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm one of those people that don't make it. And uh, it was just because of some circumstances uh, that I'm here. So you, so you were there and you were being honest with them about you still wanted to smoke crack. Boy, we're... we're yeah, but that was in the beginning of okay. treatment here. After afterwards, I I still wanted to, but I wasn't as honest about it. I, I got gotcha. you. You know, I've been here so long. I've been here six months. I can't. I can't. I can't. Can't be keep honest. talking about. If that. I can tell anybody anything, I'm gonna say get honest. Yeah. You know, right. tell your spine. I don't care what it is. Just be honest. Yeah. If they start hollering, let them holler. You know, because once once you cut that off, once I'm on my own without you. You know, because we get sober, I don't. Mm-hmm. And uh, once I eliminated other people from what I had going on in my head, it was over anyway for me. I think. Yeah. So Daryl relapsed after he completed treatment at Mar. But for the purposes of this podcast, we're going to jump ahead here to the spiritual experience he eventually had, which allowed him to stay sober. Throughout his life, Daryl had an antagonistic view of spirituality and religion, which he talked about while he was in treatment here at Mar. Doug Brush one time, I mean, I finally told Doug the second time I was here, he he had said something to me, and I just looked at him, and I was growling because I was angry, of course. I said, don't you know I'm an atheist? And he said said the strangest thing to me. He said, you know, an atheist is the most desperate of believers. And I'm walking down the hall, and I can't believe I said this to Doug Brush because, you know, I mean, if you can find a saint walking the earth, it's Doug. He's like... (laughs) You know what I mean? And I'm yeah. this prick. You know, how big of a prick am I going to be in here? <laughs> I really need a drink at <laughs> this place. But, um, and I'm sitting in there like, what is happening to me? Uh-huh. How, how rotten am I to say something like that? You know, but it was the truth. Uh-huh. You know, that just, I, I've, I've fought against uh, any kind of belief in God. Uh-huh. But then one of his cats got sick, possibly from eating one of the crack rocks that Daryl had on the floor of his apartment. He loved cats, and cats loved him. And when he realized he may have done something in his addiction to harm a cat, that was more than he could bear. But my cat got sick, and uh, 
and I'm and it, it was deathly sick, and so I took it to the vet, and 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 the vet's going, "What's going on? This cat's bottles are all just messed up," and I'm freaking out, you know, and because uh, I'm about half drunk, and and so I go back home, and uh, you know, I. I I didn't pray for me to be sober. I didn't pray for anything for me at all. I just got down on my knees, and I prayed for that cat to pull through. I asked God to help me, and uh, and he did. <clears throat> and uh, no, it's just... Uh, I, I'm not going to... I'm not going to tell you the cat wouldn't have pulled through. I'm not trying to say that... Uh, uh, I, I don't want to build this up more than, you know, I don't, I don't want to be ridiculous about it. Uh, I did not see a burning bush. But in that same time period, <clears throat> my de- my desire in, to use alcohol and drugs went away. And I've done enough drugs. I mean, that's my job <laughs> is to do dope and, yeah. and be numb. And try to handle it, and 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 I knew that that that's not normal. Uh-huh. You, you have to go through a period of adjustment to be able to function a little bit because the cravings you have to wait for those to they don't just yeah. snap away. But it all went away. My uh-huh. entire my 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 desire to use drugs and 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 it all went away. And and the only thing different about it, not only did I pray for the cat, I started praying to God. Because I wanted the cat to live, mm-hmm. you know. Please forgive me for being angry. And I started talking to God that like that day, and and uh, and things got better. Wow. And and you know, I thought, uh, you know, if I'm not drinking and doing dope, I might be all right at this yeah. AA thing. <laughs> so I called my sponsor, and uh, and I said, yeah. And we met. And and I said, listen, I, I've been jerking you around. You know that I've been drinking, but uh, I, I will. I, if you if you don't want to be my sponsor, I understand that, and I'll go find somebody else. But if you do, I'll just let you know that you tell me what to do, and I'll do it. I never told anybody that before. Never. What are they going to tell me? I need to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what you're going to tell me because I'm not taking a chance on a thing like that. But I just let go of the whole situation. I said, you tell me what to do and I'll do it. And uh, immediately my things things got better for me. Oh, wow. When I started talking to other people about what I need to be doing. And um, and, and, and it was just, a, like I said, my life started getting better. Uh, the cat pulled out, uh, pulled out of his sickness, and uh, Mushu is the name. It's a female. And I would ask him to tell me that story sometimes, and he would just tell me. And he's like, "Who would tell you that? Oh, you know that story? Like, I just want to hear you tell me that story." And he would, he would give me a hard time a little bit, and then he would tell me. And anyway, I bring her home, and 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 I start working with the sponsor, and I start. Pray, I, man, I pray. And not only did I know that God loves me, I know that God likes me. And that was sort of important to me. I think a thing about Daryl that I really loved is uh, he sometimes uh, left the filter off and would say whatever came to mind. And I think too often all of us guard ourselves and say, should I say this here? Should I say that there? Things like that. 
And because of his ability to be transparent, people recognized that and they loved him just the way he was. And I think if we all were a bit more transparent, um, I know people talk about being authentic. Daryl was an authentic person and you knew where he stood on things and he didn't care what you thought. Uh, he is going to be honest about it and you could love him for it. He would tell a story at Spiritual Life Group. He came to the Spiritual Life Group at St. John's for a good bit while I was going there. And he would tell the story of when he first got there and his thoughts. And, and some of the same people were there then that had been there when he first showed up. And he would tell the story of looking around the room and thinking, I wonder why they bring us out here to parade us in front of all these rich uh, buckhead ladies. <laughs> And he would say that about them in, front in of the group. <laughs> um, and they would laugh. <laughs> and he would say, you know, they're just here to make themselves feel better. And then after that, he would the second thought would be, I wonder if I can grab their purse and get out of the room before, <laughs> before they catch me because I know they've got money in their purse. And they would laugh about that too. <laughs> uh, and, of course, he didn't grab their purse and run out of the room, but the thought would be there. And I can relate to that so much because I have thoughts that sometimes that are just like insane thoughts that I don't feel good about. And he would somehow <laughs> allow me to be okay with that. I, I mean, I have plenty of good thoughts too, but the fact that uh, he talked about it so openly um, while he was doing pretty good, his actions were pretty good. And I was like, it must be all right then for me to, have some thoughts that are sort of dark sometimes. <laughs> There's some humility in that being I, I able to share. It. Yeah, I mean that was that's the word that comes up for me. I didn't interact with them as much as you guys did, but you know, doing this podcast and then meeting them a couple times at the banquet and chatting with them, it was just like, man, that's a humble guy that just makes me feel okay to be how I am. When I was with Daryl, I felt like I was his best friend, and it was like. Like we had that relationship and then and then he had other friends too. And I think he made everybody that he was with feel like it's me and you. And then there's these other people. The service, you know, was on a Tuesday and it all worked out we could go. So we're going up there and I'm trying to think of a way that I can let these people that love Daryl so much know how wonderful his life that he built here was. And how can I do that in a way that's appropriate? And when I got there, from the time I got there until the time we left, all people talked about was the exact same thing. I guess I just thought small <laughs> and Daryl was not small. They knew everything and he had done the same thing there. He had made it, he had reconnected. He had the same relationships with those people as he had with me and us. They showed us this uh, neighborhood, kind of like a Facebook type page or what have you. And people in the area where he worked at the Kroger, someone announced that Daryl had passed. And just these customers from Kroger are giving these testimonies about how he made their day better. And how he, it's like, man, I, I mean, like it must take a lot for someone who, have an experience with you at the grocery store where you're employed to take the time to write that. And it wasn't one or two, it was 
tons of people. I was surprised uh, all of the feedback that I saw. One person said something about my, my daughter is 10 now and she's never not known Daryl being. <laughs> it's like when we were going to the grocery store, her impression was we're going to see Daryl. Wow. <laughs> And she, he just always been around, and it was part of it. Wow. That's like in a relationship at a store where you're going to shop, <laughs> that you're having that kind of relationship. Through talking to some of his friends after he passed, I learned that actually Daryl didn't need to work. He had inherited a good deal of money, and he had been playing with the idea of retiring for a while. However, something kept him going back. Maybe it was the people, the connections, the structure, the association he had with the job and his recovery. But for whatever reason, he decided to keep going. And he made a difference in the life of that 10-year-old girl and countless others. I don't know. There's probably a good many people that knew Daryl that had experienced him just looking at you and saying, I, just, I love you. And he would do that all the time. In fact, seldom when we left did he not somewhere in there say that. <clears throat> and he just did it in a way that was like... Oh, didn't sound like he was just saying it. You know, the more I talk about it, the more I know how blessed I am. I'm, mm. I'm so blessed today, because that was me, you know. All right, that's it for this episode of Stories of Recovery. I'm Matt Shedd. Our executive producer is David Tate. Thank you to our guests, Matt Irwin, Ashley McQueen, Robert Bell, and Doug Brush, who helped us fill in the backstory. And thank you to Daryl a man who will continue to live on through all the people he helped and the stories we tell about him. If you'd like to reach us, you can email us at podcast at marinc.org. That's podcast at M-A-R-R-I-N-C dot O-R-G. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Matt Shedd, and we're already looking forward to next time. <laughs>